0: In the beginning, God. That's it. <laughs> God. God is eternal. He has always been, and He will always be. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. And that's all there needed to be. <laughs> God alone is eternal. Nothing else, no one else. In the beginning, God. And God alone. This is a basic Christian tenet. If we do not understand this, we can't understand the plan of God. God is spirit. Well, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> the truth is, we're not really sure. It took me six years to go through my three years of seminary. And at the end of it, we're all pretty much the same in agreement. We don't really know. God is spirit. Well, he's not physical. The whole created universe is something else than God. God. God is spirit. His nature, his essence is spirit. He is composed of spirit. You could say how he exists is spirit. There is spiritual substance. It's just nothing like the physical. (laughs) Yeah, I know, that's really helpful. (laughs) We don't know what a spiritual essence is because we're physical. We have bodies. We work in the physical. That's that's what we know. God is spirit. It's where he lives and works. And somehow the physical exists within the spiritual. Can't really explain it a whole bunch better than this because we don't really know a whole bunch more. <laughs> God is eternal. God is spirit. Another important aspect of the nature of God for our discussion today is that God is one in essence that spirit nature that we've been talking about but as to persons God is three we call this truth this concept the Trinity the Father is God the Holy Spirit is God the Son is God but the Father is not the Son the Son is not the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is not the Father okay One of my profs liked to say that if if the persons of the Trinity were human persons, one would like Dr. Pepper, one would like grape beer, and the other one would like Pepsi (laughs) or something like that. They are different persons, but very, very unlike humans, share the same essence, the same substance, which is spirit. Okay, we're back there. This is not something we can grasp. (laughs) Nothing in our experience, no illustration we have. You know the clover—it's one clover, three. Yeah, the, the egg. You know those. Yeah, that doesn't really work. The three states of H2O. Okay, you have ice, water, The space-time matter continuum. Okay, none of it really works. They don't really demonstrate the nature of the persons of the Trinity. But God has made our minds such that we can understand just enough to grasp this great truth. There is one God eternally existent in three persons. Eternally existent, all three persons. That means that the Son has always been because he is God. The son has all the attributes of God because he is God. (laughs) The son isn't an addition to God, you know, an addition to who God is. He's always been God. You can't suddenly become God, okay? There's no cosmic job site with an ad that states, God, looking to expand our business by adding a new person to our nature. You know, there's no ad like that out there, okay? That's kind of a ridiculous idea. There has always been a father... Son and Holy Spirit, always. There's not agreement amongst theologians as to whether these titles relate only to God's work in this creation or if they describe the nature of the three persons themselves. We don't know. Are these names that we use to understand how God works in this economy they call it, this creation? Is, it, is that what they are? Or are these permanent? Do they know each other by these names? I love you, Father. I love you, Son. I, what How does it work? Do we use names like this for persons and concepts in our world because this is the reality in the eternal spirit world that is and in which are the persons of the Trinity? Or is the reality of God something so far beyond us that we can understand that we use names that we're familiar with to describe him we, we really don't know. But we do know calling these persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works. <laughs> and it's what the Bible says, so there we are. Okay, that's a lot of philosophical stuff. Where are we going with it? Today we're going to get an overview of all the history of the universe. Everything. You have some time, right? Well, okay, we'll just do the big picture parts of all that has happened. We're going to be looking for the plan. What's God doing here? We start with the very fact that God must have a plan. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did God create if he didn't have some purpose for what he created? God created all things. We know he created other spirit beings, angels. He created all the material universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's so funny when people say to me, I've heard people say, something can't come from nothing, so this idea that God could have created everything from nothing, that's ridiculous. You know, that Really, that's the silliest thing you've ever heard. If you think about it for a moment, from where did everything come? Hello? Uh, the first and second particularly laws of thermodynamics make it clear matter cannot be eternal I was a physics student, trust me (laughs) matter cannot be eternal they have to invent ways to make it that aren't real to this universe today and they admit that by the way so matter has to have come from some place some place it did not exist at one point and now it does what is it that has to be the case And besides, it's not as if God is nothing, okay? (laughs) So even when you say God created nothing, God's not nothing. So God created all animal kinds. And it's a forest of life, not a tree of life. If you've seen the evolution tree life, it's a forest of life. God created kinds that reproduced after their kind and into different species. So you have each little part that comes out. That's why we have so many species they belong to kinds. Camels, llamas, uh, alpacas, they're all the same kind. All the cats are the same kind. All of the dogs are the same kind. Wolves, foxes, all of them belong together. They came from one pair. God, of course, created people. And all this creating, He did it to perfection. Then God saw everything that He had made and did He. And indeed, it was very good. What a beautiful creation, God! Don't know what you're going to do with it, but it sure is nice. (laughs) Well, God didn't leave the angels in suspense very long. Here's the plan, guys. I'm giving the world to humans. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Wait a minute, God. (laughs) The plan is to give it to those squirmy little physical creatures? Yep. But i also give them a single rule. Just one rule? Yep, just one. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the great plan, God? That's not going to work. <laughs> now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirous to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The world was perfect, God. You gave it to them, and now evil is in the world. And it's contaminated everything. What happened to the plan? And all the world did begin to die. It became a, it became the dog-eat-dog world we know all too well. The strong began to dominate the weak, survival of the fittest even to the point of extinction for some branches in the forest of life. Oh God, how can this be the plan? Theologians call this the fall. Humans, of course, led in this corruption, the strong over the weak, male dominating the female, with frightening rapidity. The Bible records murder and wars and rapes and on and on. At the moment Adam and Eve ate the fruit of that tree, all humans were quite justly condemned, separated from God and destined for eternal death. And this is the plan? God didn't create evil, but he did create the possibility for evil to exist. Why did God make a tree to eat that could cause them and all creation with them to die? So that they could choose not to eat it. Simply because he asked them not to. God created people with free moral agency. But why not make them so that they couldn't do wrong? Couldn't that be a part of the plan? Would it work? C.S. Lewis wrote, Some can imagine God making a person who cannot choose to do wrong and yet can choose to love. I cannot. Neither can I. If the plan is going to include love, the chance for evil must exist. But why, God, did you allow the snake to tempt them? Didn't you know they would fail? Yes. But I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Why did God allow evil in the world? Because He has a plan. He has a plan to save people in a way that no one but He could understand or accomplish. But what kind of plan? For one thing, a plan that would strike evil at its source, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast in the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put in the tree between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. The serpent was Satan, the author of evil, God's Son will crush him. Evil will be struck at its source. But who is the one who will give the final injury to the perpetrator of all evil? Who is this seed? What is the promise made even as humans were condemned? A promise that points to the plan. (laughs) A plan in which the Son is intimately involved. Now we must discuss the decline to the flood. People are physical beings, but we are more than just that. We are complex beings with both body and spirit. The spirit of our first parents suffered death, separation of fellowship with God, the moment they did wrong. They sinned. Their bodies took much longer to die. (laughs) Many of their seed lived more than 900 years. And they had kids, lots of kids. (laughs) Some remembered God's promise and looked forward to that day. But most used their God-given ability of free moral agency and chose sin to be apart from God. After more than 1,500 years, things went from bad to worse. So bad that God had to wipe out all the people except those who believe. Out of the millions, how many trusted in God and his plan? Eight. Only eight people. Noah and his family. God warned Noah that everything about the earth was going to change. The whole surface of the earth would be covered in a flood. The weather patterns of the earth would even change. And all but eight people were condemned to death Where's the plan, God? This is horrible. I know. You're thinking, what's going on? Well be patient. The plan is coming together just fine. God promised never to flood the earth again like this, and he gave a rainbow as a sign. And he told them the same thing he told Adam and Eve. Have kids, lots of them. Spread out on the earth until it's full. Now, why would God do that? Wasn't he worried the same thing would happen again? (laughs) No, because he has a plan. (laughs) A plan for all these poor condemned humans. Everybody still had the same language, and most everybody still chose to do wrong. (laughs) In particular, he decided to do exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. They started building a giant tower so that they wouldn't spread all over the earth, (laughs) like he had told them. So God changed their minds. Literally. He poked into their brains and gave them different languages. <laughs> now the guys that were trying to dominate everyone else couldn't give anybody orders. <laughs> so what are humans gonna do? Ah they fight and people begin to flee, and in very short order they spread out over all the world. Like they were told. <laughs> We humans do make it tough on ourselves, don't we? But why, God, did you do this to all those poor condemned humans? I got a plan, guys. And I need to separate one small group of people from all the rest. He started off with one man and his wife, Abram and Sarai. And he made them a promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How would people all the world over be blessed? What's the plan? God told Abram, whom he renamed Abraham, to move to the hills east of the Mediterranean, Then he gave them a son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob, which means deceiver. There's a lot in here. But God renamed him Israel, Prince of God. His mother's name was Princess. Didn't know that. Uh, This man Israel had 12 sons. I should have said his grandmother's name was Princess. This man Israel had 12 sons, one of whom, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers. (laughs) What are you going to do? You know, wow, that's a strange twist in the plan. Yeah, Joseph ends up prime minister of Egypt where he was hauled off to. Because of a famine, the whole family, now more than 70 people, was moved to Egypt where Joseph could provide for and protect them. After 400 years, the family had become a vast number of people and had been made slaves. God... If this is your chosen people, why are they slaves? (laughs) Not to worry, guys. It's all part of the plan. (laughs) These poor condemned slaves. What would God do for them? What is the plan? Enter Moses. God prepared Moses, especially, to get the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the land he had promised Abraham. And, like he did at creation, at the flood, and at Babel, God used miracles to achieve his purpose. Some very strange ones, including plagues that caused the Egyptians to actually pay their slaves to leave. Okay? <laughs> the last and the worst was the killing of the firstborn. Everyone was condemned to lose their firstborn son, unless unless they performed a special ceremony God called the Passover. God would make the angel of death Passover in any house where the special ceremony was held. The vast majority of Israelites performed the ceremony and their children were saved. The vast majority of Egyptians did not and their children were condemned to death. God, why would you do this strange thing Why would you require the Passover ceremony before you would protect people from being condemned? Keep watching, guys. I know it looks dark now, but you'll see how it all fits together. With this final plague, the Egyptians forced the children of Israel to leave the land, and they began their trek to the promised land, the land promised to them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And along the way, God gives Moses a law. This law told in detail how people should live if they wanted to please God. Finally, exactly what we need. now we know how to please God. Now we can live so we won't be condemned anymore. But real quick, something happened that they didn't expect. Nobody could actually live like the law said. Nobody could please God. Now, instead of being free from condemnation, everybody knew for certain that they were condemned. God, what do you mean? Now it's even worse. All that good stuff in the law just shows us how bad they are. Why did God even give the law? A law that exposes how condemned we humans are, because he has a plan. (laughs) A plan that was a mystery to those poor condemned people. After Moses led the people to the border, Joshua brought them into the Promised Land. As soon as he died, they began to live lives that showed they were condemned people. The judges came one after another and brought the people back to faith in God and then they would turn their back on God and return to their evil ways. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The great prophet Samuel, the last judge, turned them back again and then they failed and wanted a king. God eventually gave them the great king David, a man after God's own heart. But he failed miserably and so did Israel. David's son Solomon had incredible wisdom, and he failed worse yet. After Solomon's death, the nation split into two. The northern kingdom had many godly prophets, and many who were not, but not a single godly king, ever. The southern kingdom, centered at Jerusalem, had both good and dead prophets, but also had a few good kings. The northern kingdom was condemned and defeated in war. All were dispersed and lost, except a small remnant who chose to worship the real God and had moved to the southern kingdom so that they would have the freedom to do so. The southern kingdom lasted longer, but eventually the number of evil rulers and people grew until they overwhelmed those trying to discover God's plan. And that kingdom, too, was condemned. And forced into subservience in Babylon. God, what are you doing? Why even choose a people and give them your perfect law just to scatter them over the face of the earth? Hold on, my friends. Everything is proceeding according to plan. God gave the Israelites a promise that they would one day return to the promised land, and through his prophets gave them great hope that he would bless all the world just as he had promised Abram and Adam and Eve and Boaz and Moses through a man, a special man, the Christ. After 70 years, just as he had promised the children of Israel were allowed to return to their land, there was great excitement. The temple was rebuilt. The people dedicated themselves to be separate from all others for God. But then there were no more Prophets. For 400 years, not a single prophet from God uttered a single word. But this time, a small group of people in Israel kept the faith. They kept the plan alive. They tried their hardest to live as God had instructed them through Moses. They failed again and again, but they never stopped trying. And they never forgot the promise. The promise that was part of the plan. And one day when they had almost given up hope, the promise appeared. But we have to go back. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Son, John calls him the Word here, is God which is means he is eternal, which means he is spirit. He has all the attributes of God because he is God. His nature, the essence of his personal existence is spirit. We've covered all this earlier, yes? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, wait a minute. Is that you down there in that feeding trough? <laughs> The Son, eternally God, eternally Spirit, added another nature to his person. Understand? He can't stop being God any more than one could start being God. So, without ever ceasing to be the Almighty, perfect, and holy God, he also became man. Uh, God? I mean, well, what kind of plan is this? Isn't this beneath you the person of the son became a fetus he developed in Mary's womb and was born like any other human baby he grew up learning like any other boy eventually following his stepfather in his trade he began to work like any other man but there is one thing he never did (laughs) that other human that ever existed had done he never did anything for which he could be condemned never once broke the perfect law never sinned and so what's a world of people justly fit to be condemned for all the evil they've done going to do with a perfect man they'll condemn him to die Wait, God, how can this be? How can the one who cannot be condemned be condemned? I imagine God with tears in his eyes as he responds, Yes, this is the darkest moment of the plan. But it is also the most glorious. Because he had a plan... He chose to be condemned instead of us. The Son volunteered his perfect life as a Passover for us. God can pass over our sins and give us new spiritual life because of what he did. We can get our relationship with God back. As the Bible says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) you want to be right with God? Are you tired of living as a condemned human? Christ... Is a title that has become a name that relates to the Son's work on this earth. Same as the Hebrew word Messiah. It's a title and it means the one that is chosen. All through the Old Testament we have this image of the one who will come, the one who will save his people, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. So to say Christ has always existed isn't quite technically accurate. But the Christ is a work of the Son in this creation. We recognize that his nature is such that he would come and be the anointed one, the chosen one. Chosen for what? Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. When the first man sinned, he dragged all the world and every human who would ever be born but one, into sin with him. Not that we're all not guilty in and of ourselves. (laughs) We know the truth of that last part because all sin. (laughs) Yeah. And the sin we all commit leads us all into death. But God had a plan to save us from death. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Do we realize what this means? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We deserve to be condemned, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, how do I get in Christ Jesus? (laughs) Let's do this thing. How do I get out of being condemned? Well, it's as simple as ABC. A. Admit you're a sinner. That you deserve to be condemned. Believe that Jesus can and will save you. That he was condemned for you and rose again from the grave. C. Commit your life to him as your Lord. As your master. Well, he is God. We are not. Everyone not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ is already condemned. But no one has to be condemned. No one has to perish. But every person who is not Christ is still condemned. Still hurting and even killing each other. Still condemned. Condemned. And the world is still condemned. Floods, earthquakes, animals dying. God, that can't be right, can it? No, it's not. But don't worry. I got a plan. And even this is not the end of the plan. Would you like to hear the end of the plan? Here's a part of a vision of the future that God gave John. Then I said, a new heaven and a the earth. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the plan. <laughs> okay. This was the plan when God created the heavens and the earth. This was the plan when he gave the universe to humans. This was the plan when they fell into sin and he first hinted at the solution. This was the plan when he flooded the world and only eight people were saved. This was the plan when he confused the languages at Babel. This was the plan promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. This was the plan when they were slaves in Egypt This was the plan when he gave them the law. This was the plan even when his chosen people rebelled once and again. This was the plan when the son became a tiny baby. This was the plan when they condemned him and hung him on a cross. The plan was never Eden. A lot of people think that was the plan and didn't work, so no. The plan was never Eden. That was only the first step towards the real plan, the final plan. One day all this horrible world will be wiped out and every tear wiped away. God will make it so evil is not even a possibility. What a great plan. (laughs) Knowing that, What is our message to those who are still condemned? The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And how does one come? Admit you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus can and will save you. Commit your life to him as your Lord. And then each life will be melded into the plan that God has for them since before he even created the heavens and the earth. Father, (laughs) the plan is amazing. It's more than we could ever hope for. And yet you put hope in our hearts, and you do us to you. And Lord, we know some who stand condemned because they do not believe in your Son. The one who lay in a manger It must have been astonishing for the angels to see. The one they knew so intimately. Held in human form. Held by a young mother. (laughs) No wonder they desire to look into these things. But we desire, too, for those that we love, to look into these things. Help us, Lord, to know how to tell them how to admit, believe, and commit so that they can join us as we progress towards the end of the plan where eternal life becomes ours. Thank you, Father. And in Jesus' Amazing and wonderful name we pray. Amen.